Father, I, I, I want to ask that you'd help me today to communicate your heart and that your word would stir our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I've got a simple word to bring today, but in order to bring a simple word, I need to actually lay quite a deep foundation for that simple word. So, um, the word that I want to bring is about connectedness. It's actually a word that I, I want to bring about the greatest evil of our age, in my view, one of the greatest evils of our age anyway, and that's disconnectedness. I'll speak more of that in a while, but it, it is an evil, disconnectedness, which is all, it not completely unique, but is certainly far more distinct in our time than it has been in other times. And there are reasons for that, which I think I'll go into in a minute. And I guess you could say that the devil, in all that he's been seeking to do, has been working for generations and has succeeded to an extent in bringing a sense of disconnectedness to our society. But we stand as the people of God to come against that sense of disconnectedness. And I want to come this morning and challenge you to align with God's word and his will with respect to your connectedness. Now, it's not necessarily a word you'd have thought of as being a biblical word, connectedness. But uh, as I said, um, it's, I'm going to build a foundation in the word. So let's begin at the beginning. Start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Begin with, no, no, don't worry me. <laughs> Where's the beginning in the Bible? Genesis. Go there, please. Can we go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Does somebody want to read the first sentence of verse 3, please? Thank you. Excellent. God said, let there be light. Verse 6. Ben, do you want to go there? Thank you. That'll be fine. Let there be an expanse. Let there be. Okay? Verse 9. Who's going to go? Yep. That. Yep. That's right. Let the water, to let the water under the sky. Yes? Verse 11. That's fine. Thank you. Let the land produce vegetation. Let the land produce vegetation. Verse 20. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Okay. Let the land teem with living creatures. Verse 24. Let the land produce living creatures according to their kind. Let's now pause and we're not going to read it out, but I would like you to look, please, all of you, at verse 26. I'd like you to tell me what the distinctive difference between every single other act of creation 
particular act. What's the distinctive difference? Thank you. That's excellent. The distinctive difference is one word, isn't it? Us. Us. Let us make man in our own image. He could have, it could have said, when Moses was inspired to write this book, it could have said, and God made man in his own image. It could have done, couldn't it? It would have been perfectly consistent with the other six days or five days of creation. But he didn't. He said, let us. What does that tell us about God? Yeah? There's more than one person in the Godhead. We know it as the Trinity. And that tells us something very, very important about that. He deliberately chooses to express himself in the creation of man as Trinity because he wants to say something about relationship. In our image, he says, not in my image, in our image. God is relational. And in his image, that means we must be relational. We have relationships. And it's ordained from that foundation in creation that we should be so. Another example of God's commitment to relationship is found in the very next chapter. Go to chapter 2. <laughs> Some of you might be thinking that he's not going to go chapter by chapter through the whole Bible. Foundation of relationships. No. Just chapter 2 of Anne will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. The relationship between a man and a woman in marriage is one where God is calling us to relationship so bonded that is described as one flesh. And you know something? It's my conviction that in doing that, he was again reflecting the order of divinity. In other words, in the same manner as the triune God, three persons in one God, so God is looking for, in the relationship between a man and a woman in marriage, he is looking for one order, one, two people in one. It's a wonderful image, isn't it? And I think we, when we think about marriage, uh, and I've, I've, I've to say for married people, for single people, for widows, for all of us here today. So uh, when I'm speaking about marriage, I'm uh, deliberately doing so. Uh, what I want us to do is to understand that God has ordained relationship as a part of his plan and purpose for our world and our society. It, it's quite something because you begin to realize that that must also be true. Otherwise, why would the focus of the devil's schemes in our age and in our time, be so focused on the exact opposite of that very thing. We also have the model of connectedness brought out by Jesus. So I'm leaping, you'll be pleased to see, all the way from Genesis 2 to John's Gospel. Could you move to John's Gospel? 
and chapter 14. It's one of those passages which speaks so wonderfully of the interconnectedness and the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John chapter 14. Last week at the Churches Together in Basildon celebration, a poor little love attempted to get her, her words around this. Who was there? Do you remember last, last week? Yes, yeah, Sue and Brenda were there with us. Um, she struggled, didn't she, poor lass? to try and actually, because it was very the Father in me and I am in the Father. And actually, I like the fact that she got stuck in it because actually she was so mixed up with it that she couldn't tell the difference between when it was saying Father in me and I in the Father. It just got completely mixed up, poor lass. And, And that's where she ended. And in a sense, that's where Father wants us left. Completely mixed up. He isn't in the slightest bit phased that we don't understand the Trinity. Why should he be? He's God. He doesn't require us to understand something which in our human mind is completely incomprehensible. So don't worry about it. And I hope that last didn't go home and worry about it too much either. But it says this in John 14, uh, verse 23, the end of 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching... My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make, and make, sorry, we will come to, I'm doing it now. (laughs) And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will, teach you, will remi- teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. It's just wonderful, isn't it? It's kind of like a weaved pattern. There's something so very special here that God wants us to imitate. Jesus is asking us to imitate this. Listen to this sentence. It says, The Son communicates... What I get from this verse. This is what I get from this verse. The Son communicates to the Father. Yes? The Father listens and accepts the Son. The Son is listening to the Father and agreeing together with Him. The Spirit identifies with both the Father and the Son and reminds us of what each is saying. That's a a paraphrase, if you like, of what I just read in John 14. I'm going to take some words from that sentence now, words that I'd like you to remember, think about, consider, in terms of how we should be. If we're going to imitate God's relational character. The first word is communication. There is communication between Father, Son, and Spirit. Listening. Listening. They listen to each other. And he wants us to listen to each other. Acceptance. There's acceptance in the Godhead. Acceptance of of each person within the Trinity. Agreement. Agreement together. There is identification. What do I mean by that? 
Well, what one suffers, the other suffers. Do you not think that on the cross, the Father did not weep in the agony of his son's death? Absolutely he did. Identification. And then there's reminding. I suppose one might say there's confronting. There's pointing out things. There's uh, accountability is a good word in there, isn't there? There's accountability between the persons there. So from Genesis chapter 1 and from John 14, we learn that part of our makeup is relational. I know that, one, because we're made in his image. Secondly, because it's one of the strongest weapons of the enemy, that which disconnects us one from another. And thirdly, because of damage and the pain of that disconnectedness. And I have to say that in my dealing pastorally, in moving into church leadership, the character of pastoral care is more involved with attempting to heal connectedness than it any other feature. There might be other issues, personal issues and other, or whatever, but by and large, most of my dealings pastorally with you are when you feel separate, when you feel alone, when you feel ignored. And I want to remind you about some of the ways it happens. It happens when we allow technology separate us from each other. Very easy to do. It's amazing how the devices of our age are set up to put one remove from each other. Email is a rubbish form of communication. Rubbish form of communication. It is. Yeah. The fact that you have to put little symbols to try and communicate what it is you're feeling about the person at the other end shows that it's a rubbish piece of, in, of communication isn't much better. We've had situations where, you know, I, I've come across people where relationships have been ended by text. <laughs> so technology is one. I also think the way in which family life has been eroded so that we've moved from an extended family structures to nuclear family structures, meaning one or two, the, the, the partner and their children, Actually, even further breakdown in a confusion of quite what that is in terms of, uh, for example, uh, civil partnership, sexual relationships, and so on. All of that kind of thing has completely done something very, very well. It's not subtle at all, is it? It's just blatant. It's a blatant undermining of what God intended in Genesis two as the nature of the relationships between one another in marriage, reflecting the relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. I think there's a, a fracturing of that. I think, too, in the way in which our societies operate, communities are broken down, people do not relate in society, in community, out there in the world. If uh, 
you know, Pete's here with me, but Carol in particular works with me on the community association and our attempts to get people to help and to volunteer. Volunteering has gone down and down and down. People do not want to get involved. People do not want to engage with their communities. It is a fracturing of our society at its relational core. Don't forget that conflicts between nations are also, at their heart, a reflection of that disconnectedness, an unwillingness to listen to each other, to accept and to understand. Whoever's the guilty party, doesn't matter. Ultimately, what happens at the end of a conflict, any conflict, is those parties come together. And what is characterized by that coming together but a listening and an acceptance and, a, and a, an agreement together to move on? Northern Ireland is an example of seeking to move in that way. So you see where I'm going with this, that all through our society, we have disconnectedness breaking us down. I want to say, a minute ago I talked about um, married couples, um, but I also want to talk um, about singleness and being widowed. Um, I think that there's a huge responsibility on people who are single to engage with connectedness, to say, I will connect. I'm not going to put all the responsibility on if, you, if you're single to uh, be responsible for that. But there's a huge danger that people will begin to feel as they're disconnected because there's some kind of conspiracy to exclude. In fact, again, I have to say pastorally, it's the nobody rang me quest sentence or the they walked past me and didn't say anything sentence that comes to me pastorally. And I have to say to you that how many times that has come to me and yet I know full well that there has been no intention whatsoever to exclude I have to say too that across this church the single people in our church are brilliant at ensuring for the most part that they remain connected and I commend them for it they ring up they join in they say no I'm not going to you know I'm determined to be a part I am a part of this family and we would as a community of people together all of us say you are part of this family. And when we use the word family, I mean it. So I, I talk to married couples about their need for connectedness. I talk to single people and widows about their need for connectedness. Connectedness is crucial for us. Can you turn with me to one more passage, please? Um, it's my favorite chapter of the Bible. How about that for an outrageous statement? It is my favorite chapter of the Bible. It's actually part of Paul's letter to Colossae, and it's chapter 3. If you could turn to that. It's actually different bits of it I love. So this is not the bit that I love most, usually, but this is fantastic. Go to Colossians 3, verse 12.
Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, your, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can you look again at verse 15? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. Peace I've talked to you about before is that sense of connectedness, wholeness. It's at the very embodiment of what it means to be connected. It says in verse 14, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect, what's the word there? Unity. Unity. Wholeness. So whether you're married, single, widowed, maybe you have a non-Christian partner, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Those with jobs or lifestyle that limit their connectedness, shift work guys, all right? A couple of you here, yeah? Patterns of work which make it difficult, okay? Your choices become even more important, don't they? Your choices you make as a result of having those patterns become all the more critical. And I can't take that responsibility off you and say, oh, well, well I'll put this on then and that on then and then. Because the responsibility has to remain with you to remain connected. We, of course, will support you in doing that in whatever way we can. If you're naturally less outgoing, if you're naturally more shy, I have to say to you again, there is, this also brings to you more of a challenge to stay connected. Aren't I being a bit harsh? No. We model together. Each one has a responsibility to model the relationship that exists in the Godhead with one another. Jesus was connected, and those connections were crucial to him. Now, you might describe him as, as the ultimately outgoing person, but he, was, he found his connections critical to him, weren't they? Was he committed to family? Of course he was. Who was there at the foot of the cross? His mother. was close to him all through his ministry, all through his life. He was connected to committed to friendship. Just because he had they were there were disciples didn't mean to say they weren't friends. I call you friends, he said. 
he demonstrated his commitment to community. In Cana, he was committed to community at the wedding. In Capernaum, he was committed to community in the way in which he dealt with and spoke in the, in the synagogue. He was committed to community uh, in the nation, too, to connectedness in the nation. He stood on the Mount of Olives and cried over the nation. I would have gathered you like a hen gathers the chicks. Do you remember those words? He would have, he loved them. He wanted the people of Israel to be in I would have embraced you like a hen gathers her chicks. You feel the love that is there. And to the world, he demonstrated connectedness in the most amazing act of love we have ever seen on the cross. He was connected. He is committed to that connection with you. There are many ways that you can remain connected together. But they all begin with a decision to believe the best of each other. I decide to believe the best. Trust is a huge step. Use you, Martha, if you excuse me. Two or three weeks ago, Martha chose to trust two men to care for her through that difficult time. She chose, didn't you? You chose Colin and I. You chose to trust us. You had to. God told you to. And she made that choice. If you remember, she had no one else here. These guys were still in Indonesia. She needed to make a choice to trust. And she chose to believe the best. And some of the things we had to say to you were painful but you chose to believe the best. And we all have to make those choices. There's no conspiracy to leave you out, to forget you, to consider you less than somebody else. That, my dear friends, is a lie. We will muck up, won't we? We muck up. We forget to ring you. We leave you off a guest list. We walk past you. We muck it up. It doesn't mean to say we don't love you. And that's true across this room, isn't it? We all do that. Yeah? But if you let the enemy convince you that this is because you are not wanted, that the connector doesn't fit, then you have just chalked up another win for the enemy. And you have a choice to believe the lie, or to believe in community and connectedness. And can I just commend to you ways of ensuring connectedness and committing to them, one-to-one, accountability, getting together with people in the church. Choose somebody, go and see them and say, would you be my one-to-one partner? I know we've mucked up and we haven't met for months. Can we get together again? I keep meaning to get in one-to-one with you. Would you mind if we do it now? I always meant to ask you, but I forgot. I've put it off in time could we do it anyway? Be honest, you know. Let's get together and do that. Small group. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. If you can't get to one, get to another. Get to all three. (laughs) 
If you don't mind, be there. Connectedness. Great time this week, wasn't it? Just talking about family service. I know you guys on Tuesday had a great time. We had a great time Wednesday, didn't we? How did Thursday go? Did it happen? Yeah? Yeah? Good time? Lovely time in fellowship, sharing together. So all three groups, yeah? Social activities, parties, bring and share. Lovely walk the other month. Just together. Just talking, sharing together. Sunday celebrations. Be there when you can. If you've got shift work, be there when you can. But make sure that if you can't be there, get to something else instead. Staying connected helps you be the light of Christ in your streets. Just an example of think of the best of people. Um, I can't remember whether it was my birthday or Pete's birthday. We were having a party and we thought we'd invited everybody and we'd missed Alison. And I got, I was really, you know, it was a pure accident. It wasn't meant. And I went to Alison just before the party. I said, Alison, I am so sorry. We, we, you know, I've still got your invitation in my bag. That's all right, she said. I was coming anyway. Yeah. <laughs> 